So our reading today is from Colossians 4. It will come up on the screen, um, or you can find it in your Bibles. There's a few tricky names, so I'll take a guess, and then Steve can give you the proper pronunciation later. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves in prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Steve, do you want to come and I'll pray briefly and then you can go for it. Lord, thank you for Steve and all the preparation he's done, and I pray that you speak to us this morning. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's been a little while since I've stood here in front of you. For those who don't know me, um, I'm normally at the back, looking after all things tech, but Luke asked me if I would... Luke asked me if I would volunteer this morning to preach to you. So I, I said, yes, Luke, of course, I would love to volunteer to preach. It is lovely to be here uh, sharing with you this morning. It's lovely to be able to open uh, the Word of God so freely together. And as, uh, as Gabby said, you'll, you'll know if you're a regular amongst us that we have been exploring Paul's letter to the Colossians over the last few weeks. And so I have the uh, pleasure of finishing finishing that series up this morning. Luke is going to be bringing some, some new ideas uh, next week. And what we have seen so far is that this letter to the Colossians demonstrates the power of the gospel, its power to, to change lives for the better. So what I wanted to do this morning, just before I get going, is remind ourselves kind of where we've been 
look at the context of where this, this letter sits in terms of, of church history, and, and by doing so, hopefully set that into a context that makes sense for us today. So you may be aware that Paul was writing this letter roughly around 60 AD. He was in prison in Rome, and he was writing to a city called Colossae, something like that. We always, we always love, love um, names, don't we, on a Sunday morning, all these various names. I, I, think, um, I think Alex did a fairly decent job. I, I don't know if I've got anything better to offer. Um, but during this time, the Christian community is experiencing rapid growth. And the other apostles are found, founding new churches. They're spreading the gospel in person. Paul, unable to do so, he's reaching out with various letters. And that forms the majority of what we now call the, the New Testament, writing to, to these fledgling Christian communities. And Colossae is situated in what is now modern-day Turkey. It doesn't exist anymore. It's an ancient site. But in its prime, it was a really diverse place. It was full of Greeks, it was full of Romans, Jews, people from various backgrounds, and they're all living together, each with their own traditions and their own beliefs. And so, just as we find ourselves in our interconnected world today, the Colossian Christians had to navigate living and sharing their faith in a pluralistic society. And a particular issue that Paul is addressing in this letter is the blending of old beliefs and traditions into Christianity. That, that blending that was causing a whole load of confusion, a whole load of problems. And so through his letter, Paul is reminding the Colossians of the greatness of Jesus, and he's emphasizing faith in Jesus alone. And in essence, the book of Colossians is reflecting the timeless challenge that is faced by the church. Challenges that resonate with us today. It addresses issues related to communication, to prayer, to commitment, and to fellowship. And throughout his letter, Paul has encouraged us to focus on the supreme importance of Jesus, to live in alignment with his calling, with his purpose. And I think that this context is helpful when we come to our passage this morning. When, when you heard, heard it read this morning, I wonder how, that, how it landed with you. It can sometimes be, be quite challenging to, to listen to the, the closing remarks of a letter. Normally, they're just the, um, you know, nice, nice to speak to you, hope you're well, specific instructions for a couple of people, see you later. And there's often not an, not an awful lot going on. But I think that we can see a sense of purpose in Paul's, Paul's writing here. It isn't just a to-do list, finish off, closing remarks. So this morning, I'd like to use a series of, of, of parables, stories, illustrations to help us explore what's going on in these closing words. I don't know, I don't know about you, but sometimes if I'm if I'm reading the Bible, reading these, these, these letters, I can sometimes find my mind drifting a little bit because there isn't really a clear narrative. There isn't a compelling story so much. Um, there aren't nice um, illustrations or metaphors or things to help, help keep me in, in the text. So that's what I'm going to try and do for you guys this morning is I'm going to try and use, use my own to draw out some of the messages 
that, that Paul has put into this, this last chapter. So the first, the first image, the first picture I want to share with you is one of a tightrope walker. I don't know if anyone has actually seen this happen. Um, I've, I've occasionally watched videos of crazy people walking between skyscrapers. It's pretty, pretty uh, scary. It gets my heart racing just watching it. But as, as we um, think of that image of, of uh, someone who is on a, on a wire high above the ground, thinking about each step that they make, every step has balance, has precision, has intention. And this image resonates with some of what Paul is, is writing in this chapter. If we look specifically at, at verse 5, where he's saying, be wise in our actions. So he's asking us to walk with clear purpose, especially when we engage with people who haven't yet experienced Jesus. He's saying we should be mindful of our actions, to seize every chance to share that life-changing message of Christ's salvation. And with that, that image of a tightrope walker, who through very intentional movement remains perfectly in balance, hopefully you can see the similarity with living a life guided by a higher purpose where everything you do has a deeper spiritual meaning. In our busy lives, it's more important than ever to live with purpose. We are often pulled in a hundred different directions by the world's demands. And in that chaotic environment, it's vital to think about the words we use, the things we do. Living out authentic faith means that our beliefs should show in what we say and do. Much like the tightrope walker's balance is proof of their skill. Our actions should reflect the love and the grace that we have found in Jesus. By living genuinely, we create an atmosphere of kindness that goes beyond our faith. It gives everyone we meet a taste of God's love. And so Paul's advice is to be purposeful, to think wisely about our interactions with the world outside our faith, and to share Jesus' love and hope whenever we get the chance. And in our own way, we become messengers on the big stage of life. We are keeping our balance with grace and purpose while leading others to the hope that Jesus offers. So that leads me on to my second point. Paul reminds us that our words hold great power. They can bring comfort to those in pain. They can guide people towards a better future. If we focus in on verse 6, Paul encourages us to speak kindly and with a touch of divine inspiration. Much like adding a pinch of salt to enhance flavor. He believed our words should offer healing and hope, that they should make the story of Jesus compelling to everyone. And so if we consider the effect of a, of a balm, a cream, uh, an ointment on, on sore, cracked skin, I think this gives us an indication of the kind of thing that Paul is trying to say. 
The concept of adding a touch of salt to our speech is significant because historically, salt was valued not just for its own taste, but also for preserving food, for bringing out the, the flavor. And so similarly, our words should be seasoned with grace and to help preserve the message of salvation, to safeguard the spiritual well-being of others. If we come back to this image of a, of a balm, of a cream, hopefully you're all aware that salt has healing properties. So we see a reminder in, our, in, 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 this, in this image that Paul gives us of, of, of salt, that our words should be chosen thoughtfully. They should be filled with empathy. They should be filled with compassion. They should be used to gently aid those who have been spiritually wounded. We live in a world where people grapple with sin, where people have to deal with suffering, where there is challenge around every corner. And our words need to serve as a healing balm. I was also reminded that in today's age, in the age of the internet, our words spread far and wide in an instant. And so there is actually a reminder here as well to be careful not only on what we say, but on what we type, on what we text. As individuals committed to spreading Jesus' message, we have a substantial responsibility in how we communicate. We are called to be kind. We are called to uplift. We are called to provide comfort and hope. We are called to reflect our commitment to a higher standard that mirrors what Jesus teaches. Paul's message about gracious, kind words with the hint of divine inspiration extends beyond our speech. It's a call to elevate our conversation. Instead of sowing division, our words should unite. They should offer hope. They should offer better life. So Paul challenges us to make our words a source of comfort, bringing those who are lost and hurting into the presence of Jesus. Our words demonstrate our dedication to the mission of sharing Jesus' message, conveying his message of love and salvation. And so as the letter continues, we come to our third point, focusing in on verse 12, we meet a guy called Epaphras. Paul tells us that he is committed to praying. Paul writes he continually wrestles in prayer for the Colossian church. So to think about this, I thought it would be helpful to reflect on the image of a gardener. Imagine with me, if you will, a peaceful garden full of color and life. And in the heart of this garden, there is a dedicated gardener, someone who tirelessly cares for it with all his heart, much better than I do with mine. His hands marked 
by years of hard work, are gently touching the soil, each action deliberate, filled with love. So just as the gardener invests time, effort, and patience caring for each plant, we are called to invest in our relationship with God through passionate and persistent prayer. It is clear in how Paul writes that he admires Epaphras for his devoted prayer. He praises his strong and unchanging intercession for his fellow believers. And Epaphras embodies unwavering commitment and devotion. He reminds us of the crucial role of prayer in our spiritual journey. His attitude to prayer reminds us how crucial prayer is in our spiritual journey. We should believe that our prayers are heard, that God is interested in our concerns, that prayer works. And if you hang around any church long enough, I would hope you will hear about the transformational work of prayer. It opens up new possibilities. It gives us strength to handle life's challenges. In our fast-paced world, this old wisdom encourages us to pray regularly. The image of a garden's lush beauty mirrors what our spiritual lives can become when we make prayer a regular part of our lives. When we fervently pray, we nurture our spiritual landscape and cultivate a deep, vibrant connection with God. And we need to remember that prayer is not just about our own needs, but also about caring for others. And just as we have spent time this morning praying for our brothers and sisters around the world, we should remember to expand our focus to pray for others. In doing so, we help them grow. We help them to be well. Our prayers can be a source of comfort, of healing, and of inspiration. It's so easy in our hectic routines to forget how important prayer is. I'm reminded, I can't remember who it was, but I'm reminded of someone in, in church history who would say, I will pray for two hours a day, and if I'm going to be really busy, I'll pray for four. It's a helpful reminder on the uh, importance of prayer and where it should sit in our priorities. And anyone who has spent any time working in a garden will know the importance of sticking with it and never turning back. And perhaps that's the problem with my garden. Nurturing our soul, like taking care of a garden, is a timeless pursuit. But any gardener will tell you that all that hard work is worth the result. And so we come to the fourth image for this morning as we consider the importance of being fearless and unashamed when sharing our faith. You may have seen as we read through this chapter that Paul, across, across his book really, is encouraging us to, to testify to the transformation that faith brings to our lives, to, to spread hope 
to spread redemption, to, to share salvation that is found in being a Christian. And I was reminded of a lighthouse guiding ships into harbor. So imagine with me this lighthouse, firmly established on a rock, its beams of light cutting through the dark night, guiding lost ships to safety over turbulent water. Paul calls on the Colossian church to be equally unwavering in their faith and their testimony. And that message remains as important as ever. We are called to stand strong in our faith, unwavering in sharing the gospel, showing the life-changing power of Jesus in our daily lives. We live in a time filled with doubt, people searching for meaning, for hope. And Paul's plea is for us to be that bright beacon. Just as a lighthouse guides a ship safely, our faith and message of Christ can guide someone to a life-changing encounter. The image of this lighthouse guiding ships to safety helps us understand what it means to be unwavering witness. Verse 17, Paul speaks to someone called Archippus, something like that, encouraging him to fulfill the ministry that he has been given. And through these words, we too are being reminded to fill Uh, to fulfill our own unique missions. Our witness is our testimony to the life-changing power of Jesus. And just as the lighthouse is unapologetically bright and unceasing, we, through our unwavering faith and bold proclamation of the gospel, become living examples and sources of hope to a world that is searching for meaning and direction. By following this divine directive, we play a vital role in guiding others towards a life-changing encounter with Jesus and the eternal salvation that only he can offer. And so finally then, let's consider the concept of faithful partnership. I'd like to use the illustration of a symphony orchestra. I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity to to experience a live symphony orchestra. I have a couple of times. I always enjoy the experience. I find it incredible that the various types of instruments, the brass, the woodwind, the strings, the percussion, each with their own unique sound and role, find balance under the guidance of a conductor to create beautiful, harmonious music. These instruments don't compete with each other, they work together. And each instrument has an important and unique part to play. It is their collaboration that makes the music so wonderful to listen to. Throughout this chapter, Paul has been reminding us of the importance of having faithful partners in our spiritual journey. And just as the instruments in an orchestra complement each other, 
to create that, that wonderful piece of music. These faithful partners play crucial roles in sharing the gospel. Perhaps you can see where I'm going with this. The idea applies to us in our modern church. We're not meant to go through our spiritual journey alone. We are part of a bigger spiritual group, like an orchestra. Each person has a unique role. Within the whirlwind that is our daily life, it's easy to think that our faith is a solitary pursuit. But just as a symphony needs different instruments to make beautiful music, the modern church should stress the importance of working together. Imagine what would happen when a church uses individual gifts and talents as instruments in God's grand plan. What a church that would be. Each person's strengths coming together like a well-coordinated orchestra, creating harmonious and uh, a powerful music. The church reaches its highest potential when people work together, when people recognize that they need each other, when people are not trying to get one over the other or be the loudest. Just as a well-conducted orchestra creates music that touches people's hearts, a united group of believers can accomplish much more than individuals can on their own. This collaboration can have a profound and far-reaching impact. It changes lives. It spreads God's message. And so I think, actually, the message is clear. Work faithfully with each other. Understand you're part of something bigger, that your unique gifts, whether that is in teaching or serving or leading, showing mercy, they are essential for the symphony of faith. And when believers cooperate, when they use their God-given abilities and resources, they create a powerful and life-changing composition that advances the cause of Christ. So I hope that these five illustrations have brought to life for you a section of the Bible that can otherwise be a bit dull. I hope that when you reflect on the encouragement that, that Paul has given, not only in this chapter but across the entire letter, that you feel empowered and that you understand that through Christ you have a special calling. In a world marked with confusion and despair, the church stands as a source of unwavering faith. It demonstrates purposeful living, gracious speech, heartfelt prayer, bold testimony, unwavering partnerships. Through these actions, the church becomes a living testament to Christ's love and power. Purposeful living means being true disciples of Jesus, following his example, sharing his message through our actions and words. So I hope that you recognize this morning that your life is a powerful tool for spreading the gospel, for offering hope and salvation to people who are lost in the shadows. We need to speak with grace, with compassion and truth. 
We need to be praying earnestly for our world. We need to be sharing the gospel boldly, with passion, without fear. And we need to be fostering strong and faithful partnerships within and beyond our church. And for all of us, wherever we are on our journey, whether we are well-seasoned Christians or whether we're still undecided, there's an invitation this morning to start or renew our personal transformation journey. We have been reminded to live with a sense of purpose. That means aligning our actions and intentions with a more meaningful mission in life. Paul's words promote a life driven by purpose, characterized by kindness and spiritual connection, embracing the idea of making a positive impact on the world and those in our midst.